Hi, this is Timothy Zahn, author of Thrawn, and you're listening to Execute Chapter 66. Hello and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon legends and beyond. Tonight, we will be talking about Darth Bane, Dynasty of Evil by Drew Karpishin. My name is Beth Van Dusen, and of course, with me as always are Ryan Schweck and Chad J. Schonk. Over to you, Chad. This is your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We are going to spoil this book. Over the course of our conversation, we may also spoil anything else Star Wars that comes to our minds. We know a lot about Star Wars. We talk about Star Wars. We're going to say things about Star Wars. And that has been your spoiler warning. Ryan, what's going on in the whole net? Well, we've had quite a bit of news. It's Christmas in October. The Book of Boba Fett trailer was released with Jennifer Beals and brand new armor. I just don't care. Oh, I, like do. I, I care so much. I should. And I just kind of watch it. And I'm like, yeah, all right. <laughs> and like, that is a thing that we will watch. Yeah. yeah. But a live action Star Wars underworld show. Think about it that way. Yeah. Don't think about it as Boba Fett. Think about it as we're finally getting to see that gangster story. We've always wanted that crime story. We've always wanted that 1313. It's a crime story. Yeah, it's going to be good. I know it'll be good, and I'll yeah. sure I'll be all into it once it comes out. But uh, it's just the trailer has a Bomar monk, man. Okay, that mm-hmm. part was exciting. And if they <laughs> there's go a Bomar monk in the trailer, yeah, if they go deep in the Bomar monk, I'm gonna be all sorts of. Excited. I think they're gonna go deep in a lot of stuff. I, I think it looks it looks interesting. Yeah, meet, meet different huts and different crime syndicates and everything. I guarantee you, they're gonna pull Crimson Dawn into it somehow. Mm-hmm. Oh, are they going to have some pikes? I want some live action pikes. That Probably. would be really cool. I mean, we've had live action pikes. Have we? Solo. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I forget Solo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it was bad. I don't have the hate for it. Everybody else does. I've just only seen it like twice. I watched it last week. Yeah, I watched it last week, too. Did you see Rosario Dawson's tweet after the news broke? No. No. Oh, it was really funny. So she tweeted out a picture of them on set together, and it said, Hey, Sky Guy, they know. Love Snips. <laughs> I was like, oh, yes. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm oddly more excited about that than I am about him on, on Kenobi. Yeah. And Ahsoka's scheduled to start filming in two weeks, I th- three weeks. So they're about to get working on that. I mean, obviously, they've been rehearsing together or whatever, right? So, yeah. I mean... I am more than willing, like I am with so many of these actors, I am more more than willing to accept Hayden Christensen's attempt at redemption. Mm-hmm. There's a very good chance that Hayden Christensen is going to make us cry. Probably. If we see, now it would be more powerful in animation, but if we see ghost Anakin talking to Ahsoka, and there's like an emotional thing, like I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle that. <laughs> I mean, I almost cried in Clone Wars when they found each other again. Another thing I watched this week... <laughs> I watch that episode from time to time. So, that went well, all things considered? You two certainly haven't changed. (laughs) Is that a bad thing? Come on, I have a surprise for you. The internet is all abuzz. Uh, Matt Smith announced that apparently, at one point, he was cast in Rise of Skywalker. And according to him... 
whatever the role was, it was going to change Star Wars forever. And then, of course, he said, I can't tell you what it was. <laughs> so <laughs> That is not cool. Everyone is trying to figure out like what that was going to be. The main theory is that he might have been cast as a young girl Palpatine and that he was going to have, I guess, successfully cloned a body. And so he would have been the emperor. In Dark Empire, Luke fought a young Palpatine in a lightsaber fight. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't see Matt Smith as that, though. I can't really think of who else. I don't know. All right. And then now for our toy section, which will go on and on <laughs> and on. Just a while. Yeah, big week. Yeah. So Hasbro Pulse had Pulse Fest or Pulse Con or whatever it is they call it and revealed a whole lot of stuff. They officially showed the HasLab Rancor. Uh, it's 350 bucks. They're going to have 9,000 backers by December. I mean, it's huge. There's four tiers they're going to unlock. If you've never done it, they announce the tiers as they unlock. So at 9,000, they'll tell you what the first tier is and then go from there. I mean, we're assuming Malakili, right? I'm assuming that will be the first tier unlock. After that, I don't know. I'm imagining the bone is going to be unlocked at some point, whether it's like a hit with a bone, maybe another Gamorian guard. Some people want like a Luke with a bone. Um, (laughs) So we'll see. You know, I have not. How about a squishy Gamorian? That would be hilarious. (laughs) One that you can like, one that's got like a little squeak toy in it. (laughs) And it like, and and you, when you chomp it with the Rancor, it gives that little squeal. Mm -hmm. It's huge. Like, it's so big. And like I said, I have not pre-ordered it yet. I like to pretend that I'm not going to do it, but... <laughs> you're you're going to do it. I know in a month I'm probably going to I'm gonna order it. So, I mean, it's going to look great. I can't wait to see. Apparently, the paint apps on it are insane. I'll be looking forward to seeing pictures of yours. Let's see. We got Mando, another damn Mando Grogu deluxe figure. Only this is the, uh, what's it, Maldo set, so it comes with one of the ice spiders. They just keep reusing that. I don't know why, but those things sell, so. I'm sure. Deluxe Cobb Vanth, who looks really good, but they're freaking charging it as a deluxe figure, even though it doesn't come with the time, which is nonsense. But they said it's because they had to do so much paint to it that it made it more expensive. Yeah, I got that one. Yeah, I got it. Migs with who's in his Imperial costume. And then they revealed in the pipeline, they didn't show it, but there'll also be a den in the Imperial gear too to go with it. We got Amiga. We got Echo. Echo looks wonderful. Comes with some claw that's from nothing, but they were like, yeah, we just made a claw. So sure, why not? A Boba Fett in the black when you first see him with all the robes and the gaffy stick. Three new Disney packs. So Disney gets these exclusive box sets. Um, They did a first order one previously. They did a a Galaxy's Edge ones. That used to be the only way you could get hold of. But they're going to do a creature pack, which comes with some Porgs and a Monarch. But it does come with the uh, Kvarian Monkeys. There's two. One is painted like Salacious, and then one's another different color. But that is awesome because... The previous way, the only way to get Salacious Crumb was through uh, San Diego exclusive 
Java set. And so, Java yeah, set, right. yeah, he hasn't yeah. come out since then. They're going to do another first order pack with an updated, um, you know, what's his name? <laughs> Woo, I'm on call Hux. medicine. Hux. Yes. An updated Hux. Um, I want to draw, I want to draw a string for, I'm the spy. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's got the new face scans. So he looks so much better than that first one. And then they'll do another droids pack, which they do from time to time. Uh, then for pipeline, they're going to do, um, uh, figure and Dan, you know, the cantina band. Now people, they weren't real clear if he's going to come with a bunch of instruments. So you could essentially troop built him to make the band. I don't know why they wouldn't do that. Yeah, and then we saw they said they're going to do a Leia and her Ewok uh, dress, a security droid. Yes, all that. Yeah, the three thirty second trooper. They're going to do a Mando Super Commando. Where, where's my Werner Herzog figure? Well, okay, so this is the weird thing. They announced they didn't even announce it. It got leaked, and it went to all of the major sites. Like Jackface put it up, and they have pictures of it in package. Like clearly, these are production shots and so it goes up like two days before PulseCon, and saying yeah this thing's going for pre-order tomorrow at one o'clock and then we never saw it and they didn't even mention it which is real weird so nobody really knows what they're doing with that so PulseCon's over and people were kind of let down because it was some stuff but it wasn't like Super exciting. And basically, almost none of this went for pre-order. Like, Cobb Vance went up for pre-order. And the rest, they just kind of said you can get later. But then, all of a sudden, the next day, somebody has the next wave. And it's Fennec Shan, Ponda Baba, Dr. Evazan, Bib Fortuna, Ceremony Leia in the white dress. I understand why they didn't want to announce it, especially with Ponda Baba and Dr. Evazan being in it. The exclusive was that Cantina right. set. And so they wanted people to buy that. But if you collect Black Series figures, you know better than to do that because you know they're putting them out. Um, now, if you don't have the Obi-Wan, that new update Obi-Wan is nice. It's got a new face scan. And you do get part of the cantina, which is nice. But yeah. what's confusing about it is it's set up to be modular. So you could buy more than one to put the bar together. But then they limited it to one per customer. So, yeah, we're having supply issues, so everybody can only get one. Plus, don't you end up with two of each figure? Right. So then you just have a cantina full of Ponda Babas. <laughs> I, I want to just make sure this is clear. No Nine Nub? Still no Nine Nub. He's one of the few that's still missing. Why do they hate me? Have they ever done a... Um, I don't think they've done it in six inch, but have they ever done it even in three and three quarter in vintage? Have they ever done the um, tactical droid? I don't believe they have. Because they make such a big deal about those on the show. Yeah. Have they ever done the stealth droids, the, the stealth assassin droids? I haven't seen those either. Those are two really cool models. I'm surprised they've never touched. Well, and another weird one they didn't announce that's been rumored forever, and people know it's coming, are the Death Troopers. Like, supposedly it's finished and ready to put out, but they've never shown it. Death Troopers or Dark Troopers? Star Troopers, excuse me. Okay, yeah, because I was like, I've got Death Troopers. They didn't show Bib Fortuna during PulseCon, but then he was part of the leak on the next day. And so it's kind of cool because he comes with the cups. You know, if you've ever seen, there's like a famous behind the scenes of Bib Fortuna, like standing there drinking out a coffee cup. Yeah, yeah. Which is great, but he doesn't come with his spear, like his stick. (laughs) 
And so I don't right. understand. Like, I mean, I'm sure. Well, he's not actually Bib Fortuna. He's behind the scenes, Bib Fortuna. That's true. So maybe they'll put that on the packaging. The other toy news that is not Black Series, which is, you know, kind of crazy since we talk about Black Series all the time. They are going to put out, let's see, I'm trying to find the company real fast. They're doing these statues from Ronin, from this company called Baron Presto. And they are amazing looking. Now, they are an import company. They spotted them on some site that you can get them for pre-order. Uh, it's Ronin from the Duel, and then Kari and Am from the Twins. The Ronin figure is amazing. It's more of a statue than a figure. Um, however, it costs $960. <laughs> so Wow. You know, wow. if you want your Ronin, yeah, you could you could get it that way. But, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. $960. I have faith that they are going to somehow put these out in Black Series. At least Ronin, maybe. So over on the movie side, we had a couple of things that are going on. Kevin Feige's Star Wars project is back. One of the more reliable sources have said that and more names I can't say. Uh, Chloe Zhao, is that how you say it? Zhao? Zhao? Is going to be the one that directs his first Star Wars project. Okay. So I guess he's feeling confident in her coming off Eternals. Um, look, I loved Eternals. I thought it was great. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. I, I know people seem to have different opinions on it. Seems divisive so far, yeah. Yeah, but I I really enjoyed it, and I'd be really curious to see what she does with Star Wars. I mean, she did direct last year's Best Picture. And then the biggest news, Rogue Squadron has officially been delayed indefinitely. Boom. Um, yeah. Now, yeah. they are saying it's because Jenkins has to start work on Wonder Woman 3. That's a lie. I don't <laughs> think the cares world about that. Is- burning for wonder woman three but i bet contractually they've got to make it well she's got that and she also has a cleopatra movie with gal gadot that she's supposed to direct yeah so you know it's and those might both happen before rogue squadron and if that's the case there will be no patty jenkins rogue squadron which is surprising Why? because they went to such a big deal to her they father was a fighter pilot. It's in her blood. Remember yeah. the, the video where she was like on a racetrack or whatever, right? And like all the, all, all that reveal video about what how what what a personal project this was for her. You know, yep. what, could they just not figure out what the movie was? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I think, I'm thinking they didn't want to mess with the time frame because again, we knew it was going to be, you know, post Return of the Jedi, uh, or no, it's going to be post. Um, Rise of Skywalker? Yeah, Rise of Skywalker, it sounded like. So I think they just can't figure that time frame out. Speaking of time frames, so the reliable source that broke that movie wasn't going to happen first has followed up that they will still be making a movie that will come out on that date. And it is all pointing to it will be a High Republic movie. So... (laughs) 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 It makes sense. If you're going to, the Acolyte's going to be one of your big shows around then, you know, get your general public into that time period. But. Chris, yeah, yeah. I'm down. 
Let's do it, man. I mean, we want to see Star Wars taken to different places. Let's do it. I just kind of wonder, like, I really want to see High Republic. Like, I like the era, but what are they going to show us that, like, we're seeing the main stuff in the books. Like, I don't know. Do you do it before this? Do you do it before Starlight Beacon opens? Or because the Acolyte supposedly is the end of it. So do we have a movie that takes place post whatever? I think so. The High Republic isn't just a year. Yeah. It's an era, right? It's decades. It's a century. Yeah. Right now, what, we're 100 years ago, right? 200 years ago. 200. Right? Yep. 200 years ago. Was it the High Republic 210 years ago? Yeah. Right. Right. Like, Like, it's not like it's just that moment, right? It could be a span of 400 years that was considered the High Republic era. Now, how cool would that be if that's our young Avar Chris Elzar Stellan movie? That would be amazing. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Harry Potter we wanted. Yeah. The Harry Potter idea. That would be so cool. Um, But yeah. It would do it, but it'd be cool. I don't know. It would be introduce you to a new generation of heroes and archetypes and stuff. I mean, shoot. For the audience thereafter, here's some kids you can follow. Like, that is a license to print money. So there, there's a report that that there is another old Republic movie that's supposedly in the works. And then our last update for the night, it does sound like it is confirmed next Friday. So whatever, or is that this Friday? Whenever stupid Disney Plus Day is. November 13th. This Friday. Yes, there will be an Obi-Wan trailer. Yay. Along with footage. So Yay. I'm sure it'll just be like his back and a lightsaber. <laughs> but still. There's got to be a hello there. Oh, there's got to be a hello there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Maybe that's all it is. It's just a long, slow shot on the, the shadowy figure. <laughs> and we move in and we move in and there's the twin sons. We push in, we push in, we push in, and Ewan McGregor just turns towards the camera and goes, Hello there. I would like even better if it was just a Kenobi logo, and then it cuts to him, and he goes, That's me. (laughs) 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 Yeah. It turns out out the show's going to be more like Deadpool. Oh, God, no. That would be amazing. If they, they just if you just crank on the Kenobi show and they like took this like big Marvel swing and uh and all of a sudden it's like he's it's like Ferris Bueller. He's like talking to the camera and stuff. <laughs> be amazing. He's like, you're what you're probably wondering how I ended up in the desert like this. <laughs> be so good. Qui Gon has become like wacky comic relief or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, shows up as a force ghost and like costumes every once in a while. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I would. I didn't think WandaVision was going to work till I saw it. So, uh, you know, maybe. Uh, Probably not. That's all the news we got. What's going on in the world of the comic books? First of all, over in High Republic, we have Monster at Temple Peak number three by Scott and Stott. I wonder how many jokes they make about that. Just more of Ty York's travails as a monster hunter in this kind of very Indiana Jones, Laura Croft-like adventure. Not much to say about the book. It's entertaining, and it's nice to learn a little bit about Ty, but it doesn't leave much of an impression. Um, Okay, so uh, remember last time when I said War of the Bounty Hunters was over? Because <laughs> the last issue of the main series came out, and in the end, Jabba had Han, and everything was... I, I, was, I was wrong. Turns out I was wrong by a couple of months. War of the Bounty Hunters continues with three books. Oh, Darth Vader, number 17, by Pack and I and Echo. Uh, it has more Sly and Ochi, and it, again, overlaps with some of the events in war. 
um, the ones involving Luke and Vader's dogfight, where Vader seems really hell-bent on killing Luke again and only seems to keep him alive because Palpatine wants him alive, which I just don't like that reading of the character. But it feels like this is here to set up Crimson Rain. Actually, that's what the three of these all feel like, um, which is awesome. But guess what? Next issue is also War of the Bounty Hunters. But the issue's pretty good, and it's got a hell of a twist at the end. Bounty Hunters number 17 by Saxon Villanelli. Uh, it's about a group of bounty hunters trying to rescue Valance from the detention block of the Executor. If you think the Bad Batch is too OP, you should see this generic cyborg bounty hunter take on a squadron of stormtroopers all by himself. It's r- ridiculous. Next issue, by the way, still War of the Bounty Hunters. Star Wars number 18 by Sul and Rosanas. It follows Leia, Chewie, Lando, and Lobot as they deal with the emotions of losing Han for a second time. This one's actually a really big deal. It also features a face-to-face meeting between Han's past and his future. Um, and this, the fact this issue is all about a conversation between Kira and Leia. Also next month, more War of the Bounty Hunters. They seem insistent on telling this story from every angle imaginable because uh, the next one looks like it's going to involve Luke because he's not with them this time. And that really dragged the story down for me just the whole way through. But I will say these three issues I just talked about were the most satisfying of the run. Uh, for me, at least. But it feels like a little coda and it might be worth it because these issues were really good and really impactful. Um, But I was still hoping for a little reprieve between events. I mean, did the politics of the entire galaxy just go on pause for a few weeks? Like, why we dealt (laughs) with Han and Carbonite? Like, I just... I guess because we're at the end of the story and we're wrapping things up, these are very clear about what some of the consequences have been. These are very clear about what characters' motivations have been. These are very like so there's a satisfying so you're getting kind of the satisfying conclusions of the individual stories as opposed to the the larger story that could not have a satisfying conclusion because we already knew where it was going. Um I did read another Star Wars book. I read High Republic Showdown at the Fair to my children. <laughs> it, just like the previous one, just like the the Great Disaster one, the Great Jedi Rescue, this one follows mostly Burry. Um and he at his time uh, on um, Ballo, and it has and it has a few um, has a few appearances by some other High Republic characters, but uh, it doesn't tell you anything new. But it was it's one of the the kids books that they put out. So you don't like turn a page. It's like and then Burry lopped off the head of the Nile. It's a little less violent. It's a little less violent. It doesn't put as much emphasis on the mass death. That's probably good. It is implied that there's bad things happening, but yeah, but it's not, you know, it does not put it, which is the same thing the Great Jedi Rescue did as well. Yeah, and they're written by George Mann, who also, I know, worked on the um, Life Day Treasury. What did you like better, Jedi or the Empire Strikes Back? Empire. Blasphemy. Empire had the better ending. I mean, Luke gets his hand cut off, finds out Vader's his father, uh, hand gets frozen, take away by Boba Fett. It ends on such a down note. I mean, that's what life is, a series of down endings. All, all Jedi had was a bunch of Muppets. The book we read tonight is the end of the Darth Bane trilogy. And when you talk about Star Wars, you talk about trilogies a lot. The Skywalker saga itself is a trilogy of trilogies. So I thought we'd, we'd take a little time to discuss the idea of the trilogy and why it seems to be so ingrained in Star Wars and, and, and in genre fiction in general. Are you more likely to read or watch something if you know it's part one of three? It's a double-edged sword because when they're planned right, when there is a plan to 
carry a story with a definitive, you know, that kind of three act play type structure. Um, it can be super effective. Like that's, you know, one of the reasons we're so excited about the next Thrawn book is he had a plan. He knew where the story was going to be. And so it gives you that room to tell a story over multiple books as opposed to, and you know, not to beat the dead horse, but the sequel trilogy where there wasn't a good plan, it messed it up really bad. Well, we can use uh, Halloween Kills as an example. You know, the 2018 Halloween, maybe they didn't want to do a trilogy, but they knew they had to. So why does the second one suck so badly? It seems like genre has gotten kind of trapped in this idea of having to do a trilogy. Yeah. Um, so many things now are planned to be a trilogy. And is that Tolkien? Does that start with Tolkien? I mean, it goes back to shoot the. Greeks were writing trilogies, um, that kind of three-act kind of thing. Yeah, because to me, I trace it to Lord of the Rings. Like, Lord of the Rings told its story in three volumes, and since then, it seemed like that's been the default for genre. But that that book he originally intended to be one volume. The publishers broke it up into three parts. Yeah, but people consumed it as three things, right? And so it inspired other people to create things in groups of threes, like Lucas. And to quote the great Randall Graves... All right, look, there's only one return, okay? And it ain't of the king, it's of the Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> ah, no, there's a living dead. There's, um, I think, you know, because one of the things I wanted to talk about was, I mean, that Return of the Jedi is the weakest of the original trilogy. Yeah. Not, not I love it, but there's a, you know, we have to remember there's a generation, let's say five, six, seven years older than us uh-huh. that hate Return of the Jedi. I knew them when I was a kid, uh-huh. right? Like the guys who I worked at the grocery store who were in their 20s when I was a teenager, they hated Return of the Jedi because they because they were adolescents when they saw the when they saw Star Wars. And so they were adults when they saw Return of the Jedi and all they saw were a bunch of freaking teddy bears. A bunch of Muppets. Yeah. So that movie is, is not universally beloved. But Revenge of the Sith is better than Attack of the Clones. Much. And anything's better than that piece of garbage Last Jedi. Here's my question: Do you consider do you consider Indiana Jones a trilogy, or or is does that get ruined by the fact that there's a fourth one and a fifth one incoming? It's no longer a trilogy, right? Or is it that its own trilogy? I've never saw Indiana Jones as a trilogy, mainly, and that's what Indiana Jones is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a kind of play on those old serials that you know they used to show in the movie theaters. I think they kind of tried to make it a trilogy and it doesn't work because you then don't have that structure. Like Temple of Doom is not the middle of Indiana mm-hmm. Jones's journey. It's not the middle part of a story. Well, and that's another way something kind of becomes a trilogy, right? Is when you just stop at three, you know, you make three movies and you just kind of stop and that kind of gets called a trilogy. What are some that you think stick the landing then? That are good movies all the way through. Because I can tell you ones that don't. Like Dark Knight doesn't stick the landing. Blade 3 was a terrible disappointment after, I think, two very enjoyable Blade films. It, it, it seems really hard to write that last act, whether it's serialized or not. If you stop Rocky at Rocky 3, does it make a good trilogy? <laughs> it does. It <laughs> if, does. You did, if you don't go to Russia. Well, I would never not go to Russia, but in that in that case, yes. I mean, you know, there's of course the theories that like uh, you should treat Star Trek two, three, and four as a trilogy, you know, because they kind of tell 
one story. Um, I think Evil Dead kind of, you know, all three volumes are worthwhile. Listen, I still think the greatest trilogy of all time is The Godfather. Not because Godfather 3 is good, but because the first two movies are so much better than most movies ever made that it makes up for how bad, not how bad, but how mediocre Godfather 3 is. It's just funny, I was disappointed in the Planet of the Apes finale in War of the Planet of the Mm -hmm. Apes. Yeah. I loved loved the first two. They were some of my favorite movies of those years, and War was a, a letdown. I think Toy Story stuck it until they added that garbage fourth one. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't mind the fourth one, but I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I don't think we're allowed to talk about Toy Story 3 on the Needless Things Network, unfortunately, though. <laughs> the big man has a real problem with that movie. Um, but, what? Uh, oh, he, he has a huge... He, he, he thinks the Schindler's toy box scene is just way over the line. The the, the furnace scene. He thinks it's over the line. <laughs> I, I mean, to be fair, there's something to be said about that. Yeah, no, it is a little over the line, I think. Um, X-Men kind of shit the bed with X-Men 3. No. Um, I was going to say, I really like the, there's the before trilogy, before Sunrise, before yeah, Sunset, absolutely. and before, you know, before Midnight, three incredible films. Uh, I hope it doesn't end at, at three. There's some that are thematically linked by filmmaker, like the Cornetto trilogy. I liked the world, uh, World's End, but it wasn't great. No, but I liked it. I think it, I think it's better than X-Men 3, at least. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that's yeah. better than X-Men 3. So people disagree. But I love me some Back to the Future 3. <laughs> that's my, right here on my list. So do I. So do I. So do I. No, right here on my list at the top of good ones was Back to the Future. Yeah. Now. I would take the night, dawn, and day of the dead over that. That's what? a good trilogy, too. That's not a bad trilogy. Yeah, I love I love Back to the Future Three, but the fact is, like, the first one is so good. No, the second two aren't as good as the first one. The first one's a perfect film, but um, but uh, I, I do I li- I do like the third one. I think Lord of the Rings qualifies as a pretty good trilogy. Yeah, the Eternal Affairs trilogy is amazing. Oh yeah, I'm yeah, Eternal of. Affairs is really good. Yeah, no, this is a, yeah uh, yeah great Hong Kong series. Is Mad Max still a trilogy? Do they have to, if they make two more films, is it now two trilogies? <laughs> the Furiosa trilogy and the Max trilogy? Yeah, I think you can have, you know, like we said with the Star Wars movies, or really like what the High Republic is kind of doing, which, you know, it, the High Republic is not a trilogy in the strictest sense, everyone, but you have an adult book, a middle grade book, and a YA book, and then they're going to do these like three waves. Well, I mean, that's natural, right? Big uh, three uh, storytelling in threes. It wasn't created. It was discovered. Right. It wasn't that someone sat down and said stories must be told in three acts. It was someone sat down and observed the fact that stories are told in three acts, which is because very simple beginning, middle end. <laughs> it's very simple. I think a good example recently in Star Wars, if you compare the first Zon trilogy of New Canaan versus this one. Now, we haven't read the last one yet, but you really see that difference. Like the first one where he wasn't sure what was going to happen. It was a book at a time and it suffers for it. Whereas this new one is much better. It's much more focused. You well, know? you can yeah. tell he's got a goal. Yeah. And you couldn't is. tell a goal from the first one. Yeah. I mean, I was just looking. There's the Three Colors trilogy, which is great. And then there's the Man with No Name I wanted to bring up. Good, the Bad, the Ugly is a pretty great finale of a trilogy. Yeah. So do you prefer 
there to be a trilogy like that, like with Star Wars, would you rather have that beginning, middle, and end to say, I'm trying to think of a good example of an open, the X-Wing books. Like, would that have been better with the beginning, middle, end, or is it better that it just keeps going? Because you run the lot, the risk of, you know, what happened in old canon where things kind of went off the rails a little bit <laughs> with some of that stuff. Because there's no end to the story. I think people get carried away yeah. with them. You know, that's what War of the Bounty Hunters feels like to me. It's like it got carried away. Well, and when you always feel like you have to top yourself. But I'll admit, like every time I sit down, like or every time I have an idea for a book, one of my first thoughts is, should this be three books? It just it just feels natural to me. Any or at least if I sit down to write genre, right? If I sit down to, you know, I have a fantasy novel in my head. But my first thought when I was like, oh, I have this fantasy novel. And I'm like, oh, but should it be three? I, I would much rather if someone's got a story that's that really needs to be told over a long period of time, I would much rather you break it up into three books than rush through one book or try to make it two books. Well, I think one example to me that always stands out is The Matrix, because I do not believe that they were thinking of it as a trilogy when they made the first film. I don't think they had any inkling that the movie would make money, let alone be the phenomenon that it was. Because at the end of that film, Neo is as powerful as he could possibly be. He can fly, he can destroy the agents, all those things. And then when they said, hey, make two more, <laughs> they had to figure out how to basically nerf him. And, and the movies end up having no purpose, right? They don't gel with the first film, you know? Um, and I think that's what could be happened if, like you said earlier, Beth, if it can be, if it's imposed upon the filmmaker. Now, is the new Matrix, is it a trilogy or is it, what's the plan with I think these it's, I don't know. I think it's one film, but, you know, if, if it becomes three, it's a, yeah, it's a trilogy. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, like, like, you know, that's what's weird about the whole idea. Like, Lethal Weapon was a trilogy until they made a fourth one. <laughs> right? Like, it's just kind of how it goes. But, uh, but no, I was thinking more, yeah, this whole idea of these kind of planned stories where you are kind of telling a beginning and middle and an end of a story. But that's not always true. Like I said, like, like Indiana Jones doesn't do that. Well, the Hunger Games books should have been two and a half books. <laughs> yeah, it should have been. Yeah. You can't they do just that. went on half a book too long and it fell apart. Mm-hmm. It really did. Like, like I enjoyed that first book quite a bit. And I thought she was such a better writer than uh, J.K. Rowling was. And then uh, and, and then, then where tigers or whatever those things are. And then that up. third book, man, I never even saw the last movie. <laughs> Who is never even bothered. I never even bothered because I read the books and I was like, I don't need to see that. It was terrible. It's funny because whenever people talk Star Wars, like it, it feels like because of the original trilogy. I mean, we use the word so often when talking about Star Wars that um, it feels like it's everyone's natural inclination. Look at what's happening in the comics. Charles Soule didn't just do War of the Bounty Hunters. In the last issue, he announced, and we already knew this, but he announced that, oh, this it actually uses the word that this was the first arc of a trilogy that includes Crimson Reign and the Hidden Empire, right? Like he's even doing a trilogy of events, you know? So, but it's three of them. So it's it's always it's always in threes. Now, I wonder how Disney Plus is going to change this. Like, yes. these shows are showing that you can expand to however long you want and people will stick with you and you can 
go with that. And I wonder how that will change things with Star Wars, with Marvel, with all of it. They're, well, they're definitely changing how people tell stories. That is definitely true. Do you need, if you're going to have like the Star Wars universe and all this stuff, you know, has the MCU kind of made it to where you don't need a beginning, middle, and end? Like you do for your specific characters. Like, you know, Captain America comes in, does his movies and out, but your longer narrative is, goes on forever. Should the MCU stop in December after what will be the pinnacle, which is the Hawkeye miniseries? We'll see. (laughs) Clearly. Clearly. It should stop before then. (laughs) Darth Bane, the reigning Dark Lord of the Sith, kicked the covers from his bed and swung his feet over the edge, resting them on the cold marble floor. He tilted his head from side to side, straining to work out the knots in his heavily muscled neck and shoulders. He finally rose with an audible grunt. Taking a deep breath, he exhaled slowly, reaching his arms up high above his head as he stretched to his full two-meter height. He could feel the sharp pop-pop-pop of each individual vertebra along his spine loosening as he extended himself until his fingertips brushed against the ceiling. Satisfied, he lowered his arms and scooped up his lightsaber from the ornate nightstand at the side of the bed. The curved handle felt reassuring in his grip. Familiar. Solid. Yet holding it couldn't stop his free hand from trembling ever so slightly. Scowling, he clenched his left hand into a fist, the fingers digging into the flesh of his palm, a crude but effective way to tame the tremor. This week on Holocron Hunt. Darth Bane, Dynasty of Evil, picks up ten years after the end of Rule of Two. He and Darth Xana have been living on the Outer Rim world of... Okay, help me out here. Sirtic? Sirutic? 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 Uh, Sirutic IV, under the assumed identities of Seppo and Aliyah Omek, a pair of wealthy merchant siblings. Bane's use of the dark side has begun to take a toll on his body, as has age, as has what's left of the Orbalisks, or the result of the Orbalisks. He is slowly but surely growing weaker each day, a realization crystallized by a recurring tremor in his left hand. Remember that tremor. Xana, however, has made no moves to challenge him for the role of Dark Lord of the Sith. Bane doesn't like that. Is she afraid of him? Is she too loyal? Or is she simply waiting for him to be more vulnerable physically before she attacks? To avoid this, because Bane thinks this is cheating, to avoid this, Bane decides, like all other Sith we have read about, that he needs to live forever. He seeks out the holocron of Darth Andedu? A nearly forgotten Sith Lord who may have figured out immortality. Of course, he's dead He's dead now, but still, I'm sure his holocron will still be useful, even though apparently he didn't quite get there. On the mining world of Doan, uh, Jedi Knight Med Tandar meets with a rebellious group of miners to, to both bring their grievances to the ruling family and to confiscate some possible Sith artifacts they have un- unearthed. As he argues with the miners, an assassin storms in and kills the rebels and the Jedi as well. Princess Sarah of Doan has a nightmare about the late drawn and quartered healer Caleb being confronted by the, po- by the poison Darth Bane on the planet of Ambria back in the first book. 
Sarah is Caleb's daughter who married into royalty, although her husband has just died, so she's in a little bit of a sticky situation politically. She has a bodyguard named Lucia, Lucia, who once served with Des, and she was one of the Gloomwalkers. She also, although the fact this book doesn't say it, is painfully in love with Sarah. After the attack in the mines, Sarah volunteers to go to Coruscant to defend Doan in front of the Senate. They're worried that a Jedi dying on their watch might make them look bad. And she then finds out that it was Lucia who hired the assassin, and Sarah is totally cool with that. Caleb's daughter has grown up kind of angry, but who can blame her? Through a Sith artifact collector, Bane gets a hold of a scroll that tells him that Darth and Nedu lived on the planet of Parkith. Knowing that Xana would be suspicious if she knew Bane was leaving, he sends her to Doan to gather the Sith artifacts that led to that original Jedi's death. As long as everything goes perfectly smoothly, he'll get back before she ever knows he's gone. And in Star Wars, everything always goes perfectly smoothly. What's going on with Xana, you ask? Well, she's suspicious, and she comes to the conclusion. It's time. Upon returning from Doan, she will challenge Bane for the mantle of Dark Lord of the Sith. Sarah and Lucia make their way to Coruscant and are granted an audience with Jedi Master Oba, a member of the Jedi Council of First Knowledge. Oba tells them that a former pupil of his, a dark Jedi named Set Hearth, may have been involved in the whole Sith artifact dealio. Oba also shows Sarah the memorial that was erected after the deaths of Master Farfalla, Johan, and all those other poor sons of bitches that got shredded in the last book, as well as the healer Caleb. Sarah realizes that Bane had returned to Ambria. However, she also realizes, from Oba's description of the man killed there, that it was not Bane. We meet the Dark Jedi, Set Hearth on Doan, knowing that the real reason Tandar would have journeyed there was Sith artifacts. He bribes a Rodian bartender to find out who had them, but is forced to kill the Rodian's bodyguards when they spring a double cross on him. He then follows the Rodian to a meeting with the rebel miners, who are being led by a guy named Drado. Hearth just kills all the miners and takes their stuff. Hearth is like an evil, selfish Des Raiden from the High Republic. Xana is also on Doan. She's made her way there, following Hearth's trail, and she just misses him. It finds out from an unscrupulous dockmaster that the ship has come from Nalhutta. Uh, to thank her contacts for this information, Xana, of course, kills them. Bane arrives at Prakith and, and quickly learns the location of Undead Du's temple. He lands the ship on the landing pad at the top of the temple, attracting the attention of the Adendu cultists inside, but he just kills them, like real easy, and finds the holocron and bounces. Sarah hires the same assassin that killed the miners and the Jedi, a woman named the Huntress, to hunt and kill down the Sith Lord known as Bane, the man who killed her father and ruined her whole life. Until she grew up and you know got to be a queen. Either way, she pays 10 times the Huntress's fee, provides her with troops and support, and also gives her a drug called Senflax that she says will incapacitate the sinewy Sith. Sounds more like a laxative, but okay. And I may just say that unless she's chasing down her father's old mafioso contacts in Gotham City, not my Huntress. Xana makes her way to Nalhutta, finds Hearth, thinking that the Dark Jedi may make a good apprentice. She's going to need a new apprentice if she's going to challenge Bane. To find out how hardcore he is, she blasts him with some Sith sorcery and casts his mind down into a pit of hopelessness. And if he has the will and power to pull himself out of it, he will be deemed strong enough to be her apprentice. He, he does, and reluctantly at first agrees to become her apprentice. Xana isn't 100% on board with this guy, but he is amoral and has a lust for power, so he's a good enough start. She figures, hey, I'm still young. This dude burns out. I'll just ice him and find another guy. On his way home, Bane learns from the Holocron the ritual of essence 
transfer, which allows a powerful Sith to transfer their essence to a new body, though their own body will be destroyed in the process. He gets to Kyritic 4, goes back to he and Xana's house, and a trap is sprung on him. The Huntress hits him with two sonic detonators. He kills several of the mercenaries attacking him, but is eventually subdued with flash grenades and web guns. Until he does one of his Bane gets real mad outbursts and shreds his restraints, but the Huntress pulls a Hamlet on him, wounding him with the blade laced with Senflax and knocking him out. Xana comes home, sees the mess, and deduces that Bane has been captured. Hearth finds evidence that someone from the Royal House of Doan was there, and Xana dispatches Hearth to find out any information he can about where they might have taken Bane. Hearth also really surprises Xana by knowing a little bit about Darth Enedu and about his quest for immortality. This really pisses Xana off because she thinks it means Bane is betraying his own teachings, which yes or no, and I think yes. And then they figure out they need to go back to Doan, where this all started. Sarah has had Bane taken to the stone prison, a complex built several kilometers under the Doan castle. She goes to see Bane and is confronted by Lucia, who is worried about the effect this is having on her friend. The Huntress says she wants to see Bane as well, and when Lucia voices the same wish, all three women head into Bane's cell. Sarah administers a power stimulant to Bane, and as he raises his head, Lucia gasps in shock as she recognizes her former commander. This is Des, the de facto leader of the Gloomwalkers. Sarah begins torturing Bane with various drugs, demanding to know why Bane killed Caleb, but Bane answers that he didn't, which he didn't. Uh, and Sarah and the Huntress leave, and Lucia uses the stimulant drug to give Bane a chance to escape. Xana and Hearth arrive at the Stone Prison. Xana goes off in search of Bane while ordering Hearth to guard the ship. Hearth, not really a following orders kind of guy, feels the presence of Enid of Endedu's holocron and runs off to find it. Bane escapes, killing the guards without need of a lightsaber, and then he feels through the force that Xana is looking for him. To rescue him or to finish him? He's pretty sure she's not there for a master apprentice hug. And Bane isn't feeling his best. The Senflax is still doing a number on him. So he wants to avoid Xana while chasing after Sarah. Upon hearing that Bane has escaped and that her most trusted confidant had let him go, Sarah heads to the control center and activates the prison's self-destruct sequence. Because, you know, it's a space story, you gotta have a self-destruct sequence. Hearth finds the Holocron in a safe and takes it. On his way back to the ship, he runs into the Huntress, who turns out to be a formidable opponent for the former Jedi. Bane runs into Lucia, who asks him to let Sarah live in exchange for him for her freeing him. Eh, Bane doesn't, says no. He's no longer Dez, and he prepares to kill Lucia before a wave of force energy hits both of them. Bane manages to shield himself, but Lucia is killed. Oh, look, it's Xana. Xana confronts Bane, telling him that he has betrayed the rule of two. Bane argues that only he sought the Holocron because Xana had not challenged him, and that if Xana wants the mantle of the Dark Lord of the Sith, she must take it from him while he is in his prime not once he has been weakened by old age. Xana advances on him and realizes that he hasn't found his lightsaber yet, so she attacks. Sarah is devastated to find Lucia's body. Leaving Bane and Xana to duke it out, she drags her friend to a shuttle, and they get the hell out of there just before detonating the charges set in the station. Hearth, knowing the Huntress is going to kick his ass, disables two of the four shuttles on the landing pad and offers to let the Huntress leave if he will, she will do the same for him. She reluctantly agrees, and Hearth steals a shuttle and flies off but she has her eyes on a bigger prize. She wants to be the next Sith apprentice to whomever wins the fight between Bane and Zana. Even without his lightsaber, Bane is able to use his other force powers to fend off his apprentice, and he distracts her long enough by triggering one of the detonation charges with his force lightning, separating them with tons of rubble. Realizing she's missed her opportunity, Zana retreats to her ship. Bane races to the landing pad and finds the Huntress there. She kneels before him, presents Bane with his lightsaber and holocron, and asked to be his apprentice, sweetening her offer with knowledge of Sarah's location. Bane accepts. 
Sarah lands on Ambria and buries Lucia's body. In conversation with the Huntress, Bane learns of how she tracked him with her visions and that she is having visions of Bane and Xana battling, though they shift between Bane and Xana winning the battle. Whoever, you know, she's not sure who's going to win. They land at Caleb's old camp. As Bane walks up to the tent, Sarah emerges and confronts Bane. She attempts to warn the Huntress that following Bane will lead her to destruction, but the Huntress is kind of already on board with the whole thing. The Huntress asks for and receives Bane's permission to kill Sarah. And does. Bane initiates the Huntress as a Sith apprentice, and she takes the name Cognus, impressing Bane that she realizes her mind is her most important weapon. He had questions her further about the battle she sees between him and Xana, and realizes that it has to happen, or the Sith will be forever weakened. He heads to Cognus's shuttle and sends Xana a coded message telling her to come and face him at Caleb's camp. When Xana gets there, Darth Cognus declares her loyalty to the Sith and she will not interfere in their battle. Then there's a big fight between Bane and Xana, which, you know, we've all been waiting for. And it doesn't disappoint, but I'm not going to play by play it. The momentum goes back and forth, each one holding the upper hand more than once, until Xana uses her Sith, sor- her Sith sorcery and summons up these, like, terrifying dark side anime tentacles to attack Bane. Bane realizes he's beat and that Xana needs to die, and he tries to use the transfer essence process on her, and his body is obliterated in an instant as his mind invades Xana's body, looking out through her eyes and hearing through her ears. Xana fights back, both seeking to destroy the other. They fight bitterly until it's over, and there is a victor. It became a battle of wills. Their two identities locked together inside Xana's mind, grappling for possession of her body. They teetered on the precipice of the void, Bane seeking to obliterate all trace of her identity, while she sought to cast him down into the blackness. For a moment they seemed to be evenly matched, neither gaining nor giving ground. And then suddenly, it was over. Xana comes back to Cognus and tells her that Bane is dead, that Xana is now the Dark Lord of the Sith, and that the former Huntress can use Bane's old lightsaber until she is advanced enough to build her own. As Xana explains that one day Cognus must face her, just as she faced Bane, Cognus notices that Xana is flexing her left hand repeatedly, kind of twitching. In the Done shuttle, somewhere far away, Set Hearth begins to examine Darth and Dedu's holocron. This, that, that does lead, by the way, to, uh, in an EU source book, a story um, where Hearth is actually lives for like centuries. But the Holocron does end up in Korriban because Count Dooku finds it much later. In uh, Although all of this is legends. So it turns out Bane is a uh, just like every other Sith. I really thought he would. I mean, where he started turned out to be a lot different. How how it started versus how it's going. <laughs> right. Right. Thought he was different. But he's the model for it, right? Yeah. I mean, that's true. Wow. And and obviously he wasn't going to end up being the same guy he was at the beginning of the first book because that's a boring story. Does it really break the rule of two, though? Like, first glance, it seems to. But, like, if you really think about it, he's not trying to get more Sith. He's still going to be Master and Apprentice. He just craved a little more Sithy power, and that power happened to be living immortal. And if he stays at the top as the most powerful... Technically, that doesn't break the rule of two, right? I don't think, I don't think so either. But I also think the rule of two is very squishy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think it necessarily breaks it. I just meant that we learned about this in Sidious, and we've learned about this from Palpatine, that eventually the Sith just go like, oh, crap, I'm going to die. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, yes, I've been talked the big talk that my apprentice has to take me down. Yes, this is what I believe in. But at the same time, I still want to win. And I don't want to die. 
And um, they all kind of, even Bane falls victim to this. Well, and Xana's kind of like the bratty heiress who's like, Dad, why don't you just die and leave me all your money? Oh, jeez. <laughs> Would you trust Xana to run the Sith? If no. you're Bane? I wouldn't either. She's not ready. She forgets she's a Sith sorceress like half the time. I don't even think it's about her being ready. I think it's about her being like necessarily wanting it. You know, she's put it off for a long time. Although at the same time, like, I don't know. I kind of see her point of view. He's taught her to be patient. Mm-hmm. He never said nothing about you have to fight me when I'm 25 and tough. He, he didn't say that. He, he said, you know, one day you'll challenge me. Well, let's wait till you're old and frail. Make sure I win. I mean, that's pretty smart. Yeah, it's smart and it's patient. It's cunning. But Bane, you know, but it's not strong. And the Sith, you know, since they're fascists, they were they they really like strength. But I, I just I hadn't read this book in a while. And so coming back to it and it immediately started with Bane going like, I got to live forever. I was like, oh, here we are again. <laughs> Same old Sith. Oh, so I do. I did promise. So the lake on Ambria. So Ambria was actually a very important planet in the Old Republic comics. Uh, so Jedi Master Thawne, who was Nomi Sunrider's master like 4,000 years before, uh, lived there. And that and that's actually where Nomi Sunrider trained was on Ambria. And she was one of the you know greatest Jedi of ancient legend in the EU. But before Master Thawne met Nomi, the place was at one point haunted by malevolent spirits of the Sith. In order to take them out, he swam out into the Thawne, couldn't fight them. So he swam out to the middle of the lake, let the dark side consume him. And then with one final effort of Jedi-ness, ensnared the spirits with a wave of light side energy that ended up confining them to the lake. So it's not unlike the Thought Bomb, really. The spirits were known to corrupt the fish and stuff there, making them kind of into violent monsters. It is shown in the comics. They don't talk about the story necessarily, but it is shown that it's a lake that you do not want to go near because there's like vile creatures in it. Uh, actually, I think. And then I think Caleb's hut is the same hut that's seen in the comic where Nomi Sunrider stayed and trained. So Ambria is kind of a big deal in, in old legend stuff. So the Force Lake does have a history. Beth, what did you think? This is your first time. Yes, uh, I really liked it. I I like a more concrete ending after three books. It just kind of trailed off, it felt like. And and I get, you know, they're trying to leave things open for stuff to happen. But um, overall, I really liked the entire series, though. And I do feel like this is a trilogy that stuck the landing. Um, I do question what the hell the Jedi Seekers were doing because everybody seems to have force powers and is not Jedi. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more force sensitives running around at this time. Yeah. yeah. It's really weird. <laughs> I guess you got to assume, though, the Republic's smaller and its reach is smaller. Yeah. Now, does Set Heth count as one of the lost? Don't know. I don't know. I liked him, though. Was he a knight or was he a Padawan? He was definitely a knight. Well, then he would. You would think he would count as one of the lost. Uh, I mean, not anymore, right? But yeah. technically, but uh, maybe he would. I don't know. I liked him. I, I thought he was uh, an appropriate level of asshole. Yeah, yeah, and it, it does a good job of showing the difference between what a dark Jedi is and what a Sith is. Like the Sith are wanting to take over the galaxy, and the dark Jedi are just like, I got these powers. I'm going to do some badass stuff with it. And that's he just it. went to Jedi school. He learned some cool shit, and now he's going to go be an ass. Now he's going to go be terrible with it. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go get rich. Yeah, he's just a bad guy. He's not a Sith, and I, I like the fact he doesn't really end up one. Yeah, he does end up studying their teachings. <laughs> 
he does end up with that holocron, which, like I said, uh, he did end up living for centuries after that, but never used it to like build a Sith dynasty or anything. He just used it to keep stealing stuff and keep collecting Sith artifacts and everything. He was like a legend. They said by the time he he vanished from the scene. I don't know. I I, I like this one a lot too. I I do like how the first book is about the um creation of a principle, right? The creation of a rule and and, and its origins, like why the rule of two. And then the second book is about living with the rule of two and, and what is, what is, uh, what is that like? What is the process of being a master and an apprentice when you're a Sith? And then the third book is about the part of the rule of two that no one ever wants to talk about, but always talks about, which is the betrayal, which is the moment where the Padawan supersedes the master. And so I like that each book kind of explored a different stage of it, you know, um, because by the time we get to the end of the second book, Xana's like, no, I'm not ready yet. And so it's just about their master and apprentice relationship. And in this book, it's about the kicker of the rule of two, which is eventually one of you is going to try to kill the other. Now, now, someday I would actually like to see that play out, you know, the way it's supposed to it did. take over. I mean, yeah, I guess she did it. At the end of this book, you've got Xana and the Huntress. You've got Darth Xana and Darth Cognus. Well, it's not really Xana, though. Uh, You want to hear from the author? Oh, okay. So the final battle between Bane and Xana led to a number of fans to post theories regarding its outcome, including the theory that Bane had not only successfully cast Xana out of her body, but that he had done so for each Sith Lord over the next thousand years before the events of the original trilogy, up to and including Darth Sidious. Less than two weeks after the book's release, Karpashin personally clarified the situation with a post on his website saying that Xana had won the battle. He said that he wanted to introduce just a hint of subtlety about how much of Bane survived, and that he left open the possibility of revisiting the situation at some point, saying that what was supposed to be left ambiguous was whether or not Bane was still alive in some way, uh, or just a small part of his identity imprinted on her. So see, this mm. is where my theory about being John Malkovich comes in. <laughs> I want another book of Bane having to look through Zayn's eyes for eternity. Stuck like, in there. like the end of John Malkovich. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I like the theory. The original fan theory. I like that. I like the idea that even Sidious is Darth Bane. Like that would be really cool. Um, but they didn't want to establish that. They did want to establish that it, the chain does go on. He just wanted to set up a little uh, how much of Bane is left inside of her. Did she completely extinguish him or is she now like half Bane, half Xana? Is she she haunted by him? You know, but they never got to tell more stories. They never quite followed up on it. So we don't actually actually know. But I do like the idea that he's Darth, that he he goes on for like hundreds of years. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> just keep hopping bodies. I think that would have been cool. I think that's a little too seismic, though, for people to handle. Now, I do appreciate that he tried to say it was a subtle clue. Like, I will teach you the rule of two and the ways of the Sith, Xana promised. In time, I will teach you everything. Rise, Cognus, she added. And the Iktachi did as she was instructed. Xana turned away from her and walked over to pick up her lightsaber from where it had fallen to the ground. Eventually, you will construct your own lightsaber. Xana said, speaking but not turning to look back at her. For now, take Darth Bane's. Cogna scooped the curved hilt of Bane's lightsaber up from the ground 
unfazed by the gruesome severed limb resting only a few centimeters away. Bane reinvented the Sith, Zana explained, standing with her back to her new apprentice as she stared out across the vast empty expanse of the Ambrian Desert. We are his legacy, and though he is gone, his legacy will endure. Now I am the master and you are my chosen successor. One day you will face me, just as I faced Bane, and only one of us will survive. This is the way of our order. An individual may die, but the Sith are eternal. Yes, Master, Cognus answered. She couldn't help but notice that, as she was speaking, Xana was continually clenching and unclenching the fingers of her left hand. Yeah. Buddy, this whole book you've been talking about that hand and then at the end. And and it's the last and it's the last line of the book. Yeah. Get out of here with that subtle nonsense. Oh, I thought if if it was Xana that maybe they were trying to hint that it had weakened her, so she was getting the same weakness that Bane had. Well, will eventually. But she also wasn't covered in weird crab force deals. What'd you think of the huntress? Get a name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a, no one thinks little... you're real awesome because you only refer to yourself as the Huntress and just stop talking mid conversation to people. She remind me of the character in the comics right now called uh, Death Stick. <laughs> yeah. Kind of reminded me of Death Stick. You know? I think I booed out loud when she was like, and now I'm Darth Cognus. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> Come on now. I don't know. I didn't mind. I thought, uh, I, I'll admit, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, I knew that one of those three was going to end up being the apprentice. I mean, you got too many Force-sensitive people hanging around. <laughs> Somebody's going to get it. I like that Set gets away. I really do. I really like that he doesn't get caught up in all this. But I don't know. What did you think of the final battle? I thought it was pretty intense. Yeah, I liked it. Again, I just, and it happens a lot, like, Zayna constantly, like, kind of forgets, I'm also a witch. Like, (laughs) did you really need that lesson that you need to start doing the spooky thing with your hands? Like, that should have been opening move. It's it's like a reverse Mary Sue. I mean, because she beats him pretty fair and square in the fight until he goes for his little sucker punch move with the, where he annihilates his muscular body. (laughs) But (laughs) kind of goes out like Githany. Yeah. Or Loden. Shut up. What does this book say about the Sith? Like, what are, what are we, what is, at the end of the day, what is this trilogy trying to say? What is it telling us? Or is it just telling us a cool story? I think it's, no matter what rules the Sith set up, it's always going to end poorly. Like, it's never going to work out like they think it does. Because one of them's going to get delusions of grandeur and break the rules or break their coda or whatever you want to call it. And they're a bunch of bad guys. They may set up rules, but that doesn't mean they're going to follow them. But I also think it shows the rule of two is it makes, it actually makes a logical sense, but I don't, but it doesn't quite account for the humanness, the human factor or the, the being factor. Well, they're not lawful evil. They're kind of chaotic evil. Yeah. Best neutral evil. Yeah, Bane, Bane's lawful evil, and and he wants his he wants everybody he wants the Sith to be lawful evil, but most of the people, but most of them just ain't. 
it makes you wonder, like, why do you sign up to be a Sith apprentice? Like, everything in the history of the Sith tells you this is going to go poorly. Like, it's not going to work out. This no. is kind of shown. Like, I mean, the idea is they're going to teach you a bunch of stuff. But did Bane teach her a lot? I mean, he kind of was like, yeah, I don't know much about that sorcery stuff. So, uh, yeah, go figure it out. And don't kill me with it. Yeah, I mean, they have her being, she's very powerful. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was right. She was using like tentacles and shit at the end there, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She she was full on magic user at the end. This time, however, she didn't attack Bane directly. Instead, she let it flow through her, drawing it from the soil and stone of Ambria itself. She called to power buried for centuries, summoning it up to the surface in wispy tendrils of dark smoke snaking up from the sand. The thin tendrils crawled along the ground, reaching for one another, twining themselves together into writhing tentacles each several meters long. Then, in response to her unspoken command, the tentacles rose up and lashed out at her foe. <laughs> I did keep thinking, like, how cool that would have looked in, like, Clone Wars animation. Mm-hmm. Because she's, she's throwing straight-up tentacles of dark side energy at him. Like she, she's not blasting him. She's not blasting him with lightning or her powers. She's throwing the dark side at him. So Sarah and Lucia are a couple, right? They just weren't allowed to say it back then. I kind of thought so. I think Lucia definitely is. I'm not sure about Sarah. That's fair. Sarah, well, Sarah did just lose her husband. It's probably a little soon, unless Lucia is like a, like a booty call rebound. I got like a Padme and her handmaidens kind of thing going on with her. Yeah. So we met Sarah first in, was she, was she always called Sarah? I don't remember. I don't think she had a name. Yeah, she never had a name. Oh, okay. Until now. Until now. Her ending up Space Princess wasn't on my list of things I would have thought for her future. No. So I thought that was kind of neat. Um, I didn't care as much about like the, the goings on on her planet that much. <laughs> yeah. Like all the stuff with the king and the, we got to go figure this out so they don't get mad at us about the Jedi and all that stuff. Like, eh, it's kind of throwaway just to get her where she needed to be. Yeah, pretty much. I kind of wondered, like, you know, in the Old Republic, there are tons of Jedi running around. There's tons of battles. It is awful convenient that there was a monument with her dad's name on it. (laughs) Like, that she happened to find. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it works in mysterious ways. Um, (laughs) It's it's called plot device monument. It's all, it's a monument to all those who serve to further the plot. <laughs> Thought Senflax was too close of a Earth name for a drug. By the way, <laughs> just felt I don't know. Felt like I could go to Walgreens and get some Senflax for my dad. Or something. <laughs> Either that or like one of those cereals that looks high in fiber. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the about Lucia letting Bane go. Yeah, I just. I don't know about that. Like, I, it, I get what they were trying to do, you know, that Des kind of saved her and let her and all this stuff. But on the other hand, you know, if she is in love with Sarah. But man, she hates the Republic. She does hate the Republic. Like, it's not like she's no longer a Sith because she changed her heart. Mm-hmm. She's no longer a Sith because the Sith collapsed. Because there are no more Sith. Yeah. Right? She's no longer a Sith trooper because all the Sith masters are dead. You know, I, I don't think she minded being a Sith. 
so it it is but it, it is a weird you know we have to always remember how you know this is 20 years later right these books take these the what i one thing i like about this trilogy is it covers 20 years mm-hmm. you get to see this little girl that is kind of a plot point in the first book grow up to be a main character i really really thought that was cool yeah her letting her out like you kind of see it coming but i don't i don't know i believed it i think i believed it I think I would have liked to have seen more of Bane's kind of mechanisms. I can't say the word. Um, Machinations. Machinations. There you go. For how he was going to take over the Republic. Like, it seems like we got a little bit of that in the last book that he was, you know, setting all this stuff up, this thousand year plan or whatever. And then that kind of went to the wayside. Maybe that's why the Sith always fail. They spend all their, you know, is that if they inevitably get to this point of, yes, I, I think it's on purpose. In this book, he's not thinking about that anymore. Yeah. He's thinking about how to save his own ass. He's thinking about how to hold on to power. He's thinking about how to live forever. And like they keep getting sidetracked by their own bullshit. And mm-hmm. they can't keep their eye on the ball. Which I guess is what happens with Plagueis too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe Palpatine's just the first one to really, you know, figure out the plan. You know, mm-hmm. and, and and follow through with the plan. Maybe by guy having like apprentices like Dooku or who like feel like they're older than him. He's <laughs> not as threatened or something. <laughs> so should it be instead of the rule of two? Is it really like the rule of like two and a half? <laughs> so you've got like the master and apprentice and then the apprentice's new friend. <laughs> and they're always just kind of in the background. <laughs> Yeah, but sometimes the master has a new friend, too. <laughs> That's right. Sometimes the master has has a side piece as well, you know? It's your side Sith. You got to have your side <laughs> Sith. <laughs> but, but it, it kind of works, though, too, because then they... But those also break down into pairs. Those mm-hmm. also break down into master and apprentice, you know, relationships, right? And they don't tend... The Sith apprentices don't tend to go out and, like, get a whole squad. Mm-hmm. They don't go around recruiting a gang. Um, you know, these, these aren't the Knights of Ren. They just go out to find one person to, you know, have their back who will eventually try to kill them. It's probably a very weird decision to make. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, who here do I trust to try to kill me? <laughs> well, Plagueis had a lot. I mean, he had several apprentices training at a time. That's true. He did. He did. I mean, Darth, Darth Maul really thought he was going to get that ring <laughs> and... <laughs> she was not gonna not gonna lock it down. <laughs> he kept his online profile open. <laughs> still I feel worse for Dooku because Dooku was clearly a rebound. Yeah, <laughs> Dooku was clearly like a three AM rebound. Like yeah. he's so upset about Maul getting cut in half. He's put in so much work into this killing machine, and he's like three in the morning. He like calls Dooku, and he's like, "You up?" She mm-hmm. she was ne- she was never gonna put a ring on that. You wanna you you wanna be a Sith Lord? <laughs> well, that's totally what Huntress is, though, right? Like the bar is closing, and you look around, you're like, "Hey, I guess you're here." <laughs> yeah. like, they can't train the one you want. Train the one you're with. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and you know, maybe that's a fault of the Sith too. Maybe it just attracts terrible people. You know, so like it's hard to find a good apprentice. You know, mm-hmm. I mean. You know, for for the sake of argument, let's say they're successful, which they are, right? With Palpatine, right? Palpatine does, you know, even though it doesn't last very long, Palpatine does succeed in this plan. It takes a thousand years. They're not great at this, you know, <laughs> like they're not super great at this. Like I said, because I think they keep getting 
distracted by their own nonsense. I, I, what I love in that first book is that Bane is represented as the pure essence of the Sith, right? He is a believer. He is, he, he comes up with this hardcore theory that all the other Sith need to die and that only needs to be him and one other person. And he is pure and he is righteous. And in this book, he's a groveling weasel who wants to live forever. And I love that about it. Like I just, I just, I, I love that he's, I love that he's fallen to that because it, it's easy to, you know, look at him in the early books and kind of think he's a badass, you know, or kind of even, you know, we even talked about, we kind of sympathize with him in the, well, Ryan and I sympathize with him in the first book. Beth was, did not, but I, I the fact that he kind of just goes down the same road that all of his predecessors are, or all of his successors are going to go down made a lot of sense to me, but it's also kind of depressing. And that's what makes Seth Heth in this book good, too, is he kind of goes along with like, yeah, I'll come learn some stuff. But the whole time he's kind of thinking, man, this is a bunch of BS, though. Like, Oh, he has one foot out the door the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and after putting up with the Jedi's crap for years, who can blame him for not wanting to call anybody else master again? Here's one criticism I'll level at this book and at the trilogy. And I was because I went back and I listened to our episode. Well, I wasn't. I was editing our episode about Rule of Two just today. And we had kind of the same issue. What does Xana want? Uh, Hasn't she just said power? And I feel like she's got that. So like you said, do you trust Xana with the Sith? To me, it's not about her abilities. It's about what does she want? Why is she doing what she's doing other than? I mean, is it just about being evil? I mean, it, it doesn't feel like she has the same ambitions. Like, I yeah. don't see her trying to take over the Republic. Yeah, why doesn't she just walk away? Like, I'm an awesome Sith witch now. I'm good. And then just leaves. I heard there's a bunch of chicks on Dathomir just like me. Mm-hmm. Sith witch is my favorite ice cream treat, by the way. <laughs> that You know what would have been a great story is if Xana eventually got like, Banished to Dathomir. She was the first Night Sister or something. You know that would, yeah, be, that would cool. be good. Yeah, that would be cool. I, I I agree with Beth. I love this trilogy, but I think the one thing it doesn't quite solve, even though I like the character, is Xana's motivation. Um, I don't think it's ever clear what drives her, what she wants out of this, other than she was a little, other than the fact that she was a little kid and she murdered some people, and then this scary guy came along and said, "Hey, come with me, and we'll murder more people." And she's been doing that for 20 years. And does she say once she kills him, what next? Like, does she, she, they, she never, and maybe we're not supposed to know, but she never expresses in the story what will happen next. What is her plan? What does she, other than I become the Dark Lord and I get a new apprentice and then it all starts all over again? Great, but to what end? And I don't feel like she has that end in mind. Um, I don't know if it's a flaw in the book and maybe it's a feature. Maybe it's meant to be vague, um, but I do find it frustrating. Well, maybe it's purposeful and that that's what Bane sees is that that's true. She, yeah. She's not the feature of the Sith. And if he had had a Huntress, maybe who wants to rule the galaxy or do whatever, but there's nothing that makes Huntress seem like she wants to do that. She just wants to make a bunch of money. Yeah, like I said, maybe the flaw in the system, the flaw in the rule of two is that Sith tend to be assholes. Mm-hmm. And that, like, you can't count on them. And they don't all want the same thing. And they're selfish. And 
they do what they want, you know, not what. And, and so you just get the succession of it attracting, like you said, who would want to be a Sith apprentice? Really awful people. Mm-hmm. Something, something in me, I think it just comes from how much of a Star Wars nerd I am. Something in me still believes in it. Something in me still thinks, yeah, that sounds awesome. You know, that's the way to do it. And I don't know why I still feel that way, because it's been proven to not really. I'm just thinking about like that in relation to like Dooku, because Dooku does have a motivation. And it's kind of along the lines of the Brotherhood back in the first book of the Republic sucks. The Jedi suck. Like, there's another way to live. Like, would Dooku, if Dooku had kept going and Anakin had lopped his head off, would he have been successful, you think? <laughs> he got scissored. Um, you. Would Dooku, I don't know. I mean, take away the idea that Palpatine always saw him as disposable. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what his, it, you know, yeah, the, the, we're, the counterfactual that, you know, Dooku... Maybe Dooku actually gets, you know, gets Anakin on his side and they take out Palpatine. Is, does Dooku make a, you know, what does Dooku like as emperor or something? You know, well, he's know. not emperor for long because Anakin would kill his ass either way. Probably true. He did cut off his arm. Um, and he was, I mean, he's way stronger than Dooku. All he's got to do is to be like, hey, so you're going to teach me the force lightning? Cool. That's all I needed. Bye. He's not stronger than Christopher Lee, though. Well, nobody is. No, man, that dude was. How awesome in Revenge of the Sith is that scene where, like, you know, Obi-Wan and Anakin come in and Palpatine's in the chair and Dooku's in front of him. Dooku just turns around and just stabs Palpatine. It's like, (laughs) all right, I'm sitting out. They did that in The Last Jedi, remember? (laughs) Oh, Um, yeah. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, that would have been been funny. One thing at the end I did think, and I'm curious what y'all opinion. So say, you know, the Disney buyout doesn't happen. These books were really well received at the time. Would you want to follow Xana after this? Because I'm sure they would have done it. Somebody would have picked up on it. Yeah. Yeah, I would follow her. The thing is, they had time to. These books came out in what, 2006, 2008, 2010-ish? I know the first one was 2006. So they had six you know seven years that they could have and they didn't and they follow up with her nowhere like that's it she's not there's no no comics after it there's nothing she is an ellipses she is Mm -hmm. like that's what i was going to ask you guys was not knowing what happens in all the comics because i've only read a couple and there's a lot um how many of these people turn up in comics and you guys said set hearth did but no, no, Xana, no, nobody. Here's here's what it is. Um, this is an ellipses. The story of the Sith at this point ends with Xana dot dot dot, and it picks up with dot 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 Tenebris. Mm-hmm. And there we don't really have anything in between. Hmm. And that's a pretty long time period. And that was intentional because the idea is they vanish. I just I don't think we're going to see them in the uh, High Republic. They vanish. They go away and and they just become they blend into the to the ordinary world and they're just waiting. There's nothing between Xana. I guess you get Darth Cognus, so you do know that that character exists, whether or not they become a Sith Lord or not. Mm-hmm. And then you catch up to Tenebris. 
Now, see, I still think that's how the High Republic ends. Like, I think that's what the Acolyte is. Tenebris? I don't know if it'll be Tenebris, but it'll be somebody. Oh, right. And that'll be kind of the start of where it all goes. In canon, is Tenebris's race established? Um, It's Burry. How funny would that be? <laughs> yeah, it's Burry. <laughs> it's Burry. <laughs> that would be amazing. Tenebris is a bith. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought Tenebris was a bith, and there's been several of those. Now that we finished Darth Bane, and I think we can all agree, thumbs up for Darth Bane trilogy. Absolutely. Yes, big thumbs up. What are we talking about in two weeks? Well, in two weeks, we'll be running a buy one, get one free special, and we'll be looking at Star Wars Visions. So we'll be talking about the show and go through some of our favorite and not so favorite episodes. And then we will talk about the novel. Star Wars Visions Ronin by Imamiko Kandon, which I'll just say is absolutely wonderful. So yeah, it's a nice break from canon. It's wonderful. I was slow starting it, but hearing you say how much, how much you liked it, now I'm, now I'm ready to dig in. So it sounds like it'll be a nice palate cleanser, and then we'll also kind of go through, not, not too in-depth, but we'll go through the episodes of the show that I think we all really liked, and we'll just kind of maybe pick out the little moments here or there that we really enjoyed. All right, well, thanks, you guys, for joining us tonight, and we will talk to you all very soon. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at NeedlessThingsPodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh. Roger, roger!